0: Hi everyone and welcome back to One Mic Night, the podcast. The podcast that brings you stories of artists and their personal journeys in entertainment helping to guide, answer questions and motivate you in life and business. My name is Marcos Luis and this is season two of the podcast and I'm really, really excited. I want to thank everybody who's been on this journey with me for season one. We've met a lot of interesting people, discussed a lot of topics, But this season is going to be even better. We're going to start doing some politics and a lot of things that you guys have been asking for. So thank you for joining me on this journey. If you haven't already, please make sure you subscribe. Click down below. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and wherever you download podcasts. It's also available on YouTube at One Mike Night. My guest today, who I am ecstatic about, he is a dancer, he's a choreographer, He is a cabaret singer and actor, he does it all. Please welcome Brian Alejandro Scott to One Mic
1: Nights. How are you? Hey, Marcus, thank you for inviting me. I'm glad to be here, glad to be here. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it.
0: Thank you for taking the time. Listen, I have questions. (laughs) You know I I do. Who? is brian alejandro scott that's what we want to know
1: that's it
0: Tell guess who it is who is brian alejandro scott
1: oh who is brian alejandro scott is a a complicated man but i think a, a man though who represents many different types of men um briefly on my background i do grow up and was born in the uk my mom was from panama and my dad was from trinidad and I came to America when I was, I was young, 10, but I go back and forth, you know, um, up until the pandemic hit. Um, so I always had a, my, you know, my roots in, in England, um, which is a whole nother experience in terms of being a man of color in England, opposed to the United States. Although we do face similar situations, but not to the degree and the, the intensity of the United States. And I, I will always point out one thing. The, the U.K. never had laws on, on books segregating blacks from whites, separate water fountains and things like that. And yet yeah, I've met a lot of people who say, oh, you're from the U.K., um, it's so racist over there. A, they probably don't, they don't have a passport, they never visited. And so they have a perception as to how the U.K. is, but they really don't know anything about um people of color and our experiences, where we come from, Africa, the Caribbean, um, those are the two main places where you'll find a lot of people of color in the UK. So that is that to me is a big part of, of, of who I am in terms of my identity. And it, it didn't happen overnight. I mean, I, I came here as a child and tried to fit in to um, whatever was here and there weren't that many choices. It's either you were, I think at one point you were um, Af- Afro-American, um um black um african-american there were, there were a few names right, a few names afro, so i was like okay afro-american that sounds cool you know but now i don't have the afro so right. <laughs> <laughs> And my, my mom still says afro-american i, I don't i you know i, I don't bother correcting her I, I know what she means and then we had this whole thing about black and um, I think it was a big deal for me because I never identified using that word, mm-hmm. but it, it did had nothing to do with me not thinking that I was a person of color. I was very aware of who I was. Right. But we identified more nationalistically and, and culturally. So that it was a big shift coming to the United States because it seems as though once you're in the United States, you're just, you're just one type of black person. That's it. Exactly. And it's only one perspective. You're from the South you um, make slavery because, you know, that's, that's a narrative I think um, a lot of whites l- love to talk about, although they think we should be over it. Um, but yet we don't all come from slavery in the same way that they think we come from slavery.
0: Right. What they tend to forget is that it is a culmination of different cultures to make us into the black people or Afro-Americans because you, as you said, you know, England colonized Spain, Portugal, the Dutch, so all these people and all these all these different cultures, then you know, they go to the Caribbean islands, they go to all these places to colonize, even the Americas obviously, and now you're here. But what they see is black and they expect that the whole, you know, black person is one
1: type of black person, which is not the case. Exactly. Right. And- and that, that permeates every single layer of our society when people of color, men of color are, um, and I say men because, and women as well, but in different ways, The dynamics are bizarre in terms of our experience and the female experience. And we're talking jobs, we're talking um, applications, we're talking um, how much you're paid, um, you were talking, um, longevity at times, who's the first to go. Right. Um, we're talking about people that are hired on, uh, you know, impeccable skills, but yet never seem to move up, but they're the ones asked to train everyone else who don't look like them and they move up. Right. I, I had a job like that at first outside of when I got a rage, when I graduated from college, I, um, I mean I can say the company because I'm not saying anything bad it's just the truth it was an international paper company mm-hmm. and it was a great company but I think I had to realize after a certain point that I was just was going to end up staying in that position like forever right you know and well they moved to Tennessee or uh, Memphis so I think that was that was the impetus for me to say exit stay right
0: so what was it like for you coming from I mean we mentioned this before but coming from the UK and then faced with the idea that you're now just a Black American. That's a whole nother challenge for you. You know, being from it's a foreign a, country, and then just being considered a Black American.
1: I think a lot country? of things. I mean, a I had I had no one to really you know talk to about it. You know, one day you're in one country, and actually we took a ship over to the United States. It was the Queen Elizabeth the First. So um, it's always funny when people say, oh, you know, take take. Boat back. I said, no, I came with a ship, <laughs> <laughs> a costume party and everything on
0: That's but funny.
1: It was, um, I thought I was going to be able to meet more Black people. And I was, I was looking forward to that. Um, and I think what happened was I did, but I was too young to realize that there, uh, there that there were other cultural differences between us as, as Black people. Mm-hmm. And. That was my first um, wake-up call that, you know, I was saying, oh, this isn't going to work out the way I thought it was going to work out. You know, in my mind, you know, you're a kid and you think, oh, I'm going to walk down the street and I'm going to see if that person, hello, hello, black person. Right, right. Because um, where I grew up in my community, we did have, you know, a Caribbean community and we we did um, see black people. But a, a lot of my community was spent with, you know, typical British people and, Even during that, there was never a black and white thing. They they were just British. So I was just curious to meet more people that were brown. Mm
0: -hmm. So there
1: was a sort of bullying in school, not necessarily because I'm very smart. I I knew I wasn't going to be 6'1", so not a physical bullying, but more so um, mocking my accent, uh, mocking the way I dressed. I I was sort of sophisticated for someone at that age. Right. Um, because I had been exposed, I'd been traveling on planes since I was 3, right? You know, i had been to North Africa, I've been to, you know, the, the Caribbean. I've been I traveled on the plane by myself Right. Before. And the
0: style, the style of dress from other countries is a lot different from the here in the in the states. We're a lot more casual, you know, and, yeah. and yeah. everywhere else it seems to be a little little dressier, so I can imagine. What is yeah, so like. that was? Mm-hmm.
1: And that was um that was actually that and and the, and I had a very, very thick British accent. Um, I also remember in school spelling I was an all right student, but um in England, you spell things differently, certain letters' I'm trying to, um good example color, which i, I always do was c o l o u r but, but in america it's c o l o r and certain little words I did have one incident where I was going to the store, and I wanted to get some um crisp. And they didn't know what I was talking about. And at that time, I didn't realize that I needed to ask for chips. And I think my mom told me to ask for chips, but I said, I don't want French fries. You know, like, in see, that's chips in, in the UK, it's French fries. So I wanted crisp, which are potato chips.
0: Potato chips,
1: right. Uh, but I was too young to even, um, as I'm even explaining it to you now, to explain it. Um, So it was was tricky, and and I think to this day, I still um, shift between There's always a love that I have for the UK. Um, I think people say, well, you've been here a long time. You're American. Um, I I will say I'm Americanized to a certain degree, yes, but the fact that where my roots are, I've been very connected with my family. Um, I have family over there still. Mm -hmm. I watch British TV, um, and, and we talk. It's a different type of dialogue. Right. Um, but, it, but it doesn't mean that I'm and I want to be perfectly clear it doesn't mean that I feel sometimes I get this like oh you think you're better than me or you think that um, you're superior in some way no not at all not at all I don't I don't feel that at, at all I, I feel I, I feel I'm, I'm lucky to have made a, a transition from one country well to be honest from a parent's country to another country to this country right okay because they from Panama to the UK, became professions, professionals rather, and then to the United States. And at that time, I would imagine it would, they were probably up against a lot of racist attitudes as well, because we never grew up with um, that kind of racism.
0: Right. Sure. Absolutely. It's interesting you say something and I want to, I want to backtrack just a minute because you said something about the way you spell color. Now, You know, I know Europeans, I know from England, it's C-O-L-O-U-R. When I read that as a Black American, in my mind, and I'm not sure if other Black Americans feel the same way, but in my mind, you instantly know where it's from. And it's sort of a bell tings because you're thinking about a whole system. Like the view of a Black American of of England, of the UK is, is completely different because you know the history of the colonization. So I'm not sure if everybody else feels this way, but I know that I feel this way. That when I see it written, there's a bell that tings in my head that makes me think of a whole different thing. Like if I see it written color, I instantly think of something derogatory.
1: Oh, wow.
0: Isn't that interesting?
1: Yeah, I never- And I don't know if
0: I'm the only one. Please, anybody who hears this, let me know. Write down in the
1: comments below what what you think about-
0: You know, the word color spelled C-O-L-O-U-R. I may be the only one, but.
1: No, I, I think it's good. a valid um, perspective. I, it's mm-hmm. just something I had never um, considered, right. although I can see why you, you would, might think that, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah.
0: And there, there lies the difference that we're talking about. You know, a person of color coming from the UK or coming from somewhere else versus someone who was born here in the States, and what your perspective is of the world. And, and, and you know, the way color is, black people are.
1: That's exactly it's what i talking very, very about. It's very, tricky because, and in, in so many different facets, but I'll say one thing, is that um America wants any person of color with that little drop thing they created, you know, let just say, you're black. Right. I don't you're care black. if you look like Williams or look like Lena Horn, Right. You're, you're black, although now because of certain political things, they're questioning whether Kamala is black. So it's very, you know, subjective, I guess, yes. on who's in charge and who's saying whatever. But I feel, I feel that a lot of um, um, people from the UK, not just from the UK, who are black, um, various shades, some darker than myself, some lighter, whatever, um, are more into nationalistic identification. Mm. So Find someone who's Jamaican who will say, "No, I'm not African American. I'm Jamaican." Right. Or yes. Daddy, or I'm Haitian. Right. Um, you know, I say I'm British, but I'm also Latino because you know, it's little, you can't get everything in. Sometimes you know, sometimes we're we're so mixed up. Right. But my passport, my passport, and my birth certificate definitely indicate that I'm a, I'm a British citizen and I and I am British. Yes. But America strips away any kind of identity that you have outside of the narrative of what they have.
0: Right. Absolutely. I agree 100%. All of a sudden you're American, but you're this, you're that, and you're that.
1: Yeah, And and with that comes a lot of negativity, which, you know, I think the average white person doesn't even see um, being unattractive, being dangerous, being perceived as lazy, being perceived as up to no good, Mm -hmm. suspicious, I'm right. um, crazy, um, angry. Um, so there's a lot of pressure, especially for men, I feel, um, to, to, you know, keep it all together. And yet people wonder, oh, well, what, what? You know, why is he so upset? Because every single day when we as men of color, black men, yes. wake up have to step outside of our comfort zone, our apartment, we don't know what's gonna happen.
0: We're faced with a challenge. We,
1: we're, we don't know. Faced you know, with a challenge. Right. right. And we have to let everything else that um, may have happened in our lives, it could be anything, like a normal person, because we are normal people, <laughs> <laughs> you know? Right. Uh, we, have to, we have to let it go. We can't say, oh, I had a bad night, or my wife is, um, you know, we're having, no. No, no, you need to get it together. You're gonna be fired.
0: Right, yes, yep. Because you don't know what it what it took for me to get from point A to here, point B, the challenges that I had walking out my door, seeing you know a non person of color hold their bag tight because I'm walking by, yep. um, you know someone who won't stop a cab, a taxi won't stop for me when I'm standing out in the street trying to hail a cab. There's so many challenges on your way just to get to the next point. How does that how does that make us feel? You know how do we feel? You feel defeated. You feel like you can never get ahead. You feel a lot of things, you know? What do you, fast forward to right now, George Floyd, everything that happened this past summer in 2020.
1: Uh, Has things gotten better? uh, Oh, God. Listen, any fool can see that the way that it was handled was based on either ineptitude, Mm -hmm. uh, stupidity, Mm-hmm. And then possibly laced with racism. Right. Because if you were to change George Floyd and put, like, a white woman who was from wherever. Right. With the same situation, could have been doing crystal meth in the hotel with, with whomever. She <laughs> was on. Right. Not counterfeit bills. I doubt, seriously, the, the policeman would have had his... um. Knee on her on her neck for that. I'll I'll say this for that length right, of length time. Length of
0: time, right? Right. You're right.
1: You're absolutely. And right. I get a lot of them out of control as well. And if there's a lot of talking, ma'am. Ma'am, you have to calm down, ma'am. Mm-hmm. Please, mm-hmm. ma'am. We're only trying to help you. Now, can you know? And it's it's just whereas with us, there not only are there more guns, there are more policemen more coming police. up in cars, guns already thrown. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. Right.
0: Exactly. Um,
1: And most times we're already on the ground.
0: Right. You're resisting. You're resisting everything.
1: I think that's also a um, ploy they use. So anything that you do, they're going to say it's resisting. So it's recorded. So that you're going to get a charge anyway. Right. You're going to get a charge anyway.
0: Right. Now, I'm not here to say all police officers are bad. No. just saying that, you know, we're just saying that that's been you know, what's been happening lately that we've seen in the news and we need to put a stop to it. Now, but I want to talk about, actually more about the events afterwards, like all the protests that have happened, all the, you know, any changes that have happened. Do you feel like that the pandemic was a great time for this to happen? Because I do. I feel like it was a great time for it to happen because we had other people join in for the cause.
1: I I do think that it may be no, I shouldn't say maybe. I think it did awaken people's consciousness. Now, of course, not everyone, because that's just life, you know. Right. Mm-hmm. But maybe there were some people who were on the fence, and maybe now they're a little, little bit more aware of the injustices. And I, I think possibly now they're trying to figure out, well, what can I do? You know, right. maybe I'll use my privilege to um, make it, um, you know, get to be to have equality for all. Yes. Yes. On, on different levels. On different
0: levels. I feel like, you know, the pandemic was the perfect time, like I said, because nobody's at work, everybody's out. We saw the whole thing play out on TV. It was so treacherous that people actually got out and protested. It wasn't just Black people. It was no. white, it was brown, it was yellow. It was everything, everything. Everybody had the time to go out and fight the injustice that has happened. And I feel like yeah, that that sum- the summer of 2020 has ignited some change, some positive change, in the, especially in our industry. You see people being appointed to you know, the, the committees for the Oscars, for the Grammys, for you know, studios, you know, people of color, finally getting you know, some recognition and, and moving up. Like we were saying before, they weren't moving up. And now, since that happened, I feel like slowly it's making some progress, at least more than it has in the past. More
1: noticeably, I can't agree with you more. I mean, change is not that happens overnight, right? You know, I'm still listening to disco music, right? So, change takes a while, but um, and you and you hope though that by the by um programs such as yours and um people speaking their truth and sharing their stories, that someone will hear it. and and question what they're doing. Absolutely. The change doesn't mean taking an an agenda and and hitting somebody over the head with it. Change means trying, to me anyway, trying to relate to somebody and allowing them to relate to you on a humanistic level.
0: Absolutely.
1: And how we go about that is, is very different because I'm not also saying that everyone needs to affect the change the way I do it. I do what I do, you do what you do, and together as a collective unit, we affect change.
0: Yes. There's an awareness, it's not tolerating, you're not tolerating a situation, you're accepting, that's who that person is, or that's what that person does. You know, it's an acknowledgement, it's an education of something different other than yours, and accepting it.
1: Although I must say, for 2021, actually it happened towards the end of 2020. And I think as we get a little bit older, mm-hmm. my, my tongue becomes a little bit looser. Uh, and um, there are some things I'm just going to call out. Um, and I have to choose what that is, right. when, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. when I'm not going to sit there in a, in a room of people um, using derogatory terms or being misogynistic, um, racist, homophobic, um, xenophobic, and not say anything. Right. You know, and it doesn't mean saying something to cause, to incite a riot, you know, on Capitol Hill. No, But it's saying saying something, check someone.
0: Right, and it goes back to what you just said, living your truth and saying your truth. You know, that's exactly what it is. I want to talk to you also about, uh, you know, I mentioned before, you're, you're an entertainer. I'll just leave it at that. You're an entertainer because you do it all. You, you have a special niche of performance that you do, that kind of caught my eye. You sing a cabaret style, almost like a Sammy Davis Jr. style of singing. How did that come about? How did, how did that
1: oh, happen? You know, it's strange. Um, my background was really dance, doing mm-hmm. the Katherine Dunham uh, technique. And I danced with the Katherine Dunham Company for 10 years off Broadway. Mm-hmm. Um, and. The real off-Broadway, which is now called, they call it Theater Row. So, Theater you know, you're Row. blocked out. <laughs> you're still on Broadway, off-Broadway. Because <laughs> you're paid a little less. Right. <laughs> but it gave me a lot of experience in terms of being on stage. And the only reason I got into that company was because I was actually trying to be an actor um, at the time. And I was only getting these roles to be a slave by Martin Luther King, who I barely knew what he was about. You know, I was really young, I, I had heard of him. I think he had been killed by the time we um, came to the United States. But nonetheless, I took whatever role I could get, and I had to take a workshop. And he said, well, you have to take this dance workshop. And I said, well, okay, you know, I'll take it. Because right. I was a gymnast, and I figured, what, what, what could it hurt? And um, the, I, the teacher, Eugene James, he saw something in me, and he said, Scotty, you keep coming to class I think i have something for you and, and about a month later three weeks later i was in my first off broadway show i didn't have a lot of steps by the way <laughs> but I, I, had, I was on there and i felt um again going for something that you didn't really think you you, you weren't really going for that i was right. really taking it as a workshop um and then fast forward um i i sang but I never took it too seriously. So I sang as a youngster, and I had a, a solo at Carnegie Hall, of all places. So I started at Carnegie Hall, darling. Wow, wow, wow! And um, but I was always part of the choral group. But I just happened to have a solo in this particular song. Mm-hmm. And but I never really took. And then I started a gospel choir in high school, even though I knew nothing about gospel music growing up as a Protestant in England. And, <laughs> uh, but I knew how to read music and I knew how to direct people, and I knew people who knew how to sing gospel music. And so we were at a predominantly white high school, very nice high school, Bayside High School in Queens, but uh, an excellent academics, I must say, but they didn't really have us involved with too many artistic things. It was very um, separate. Mm -hmm. Well, I started this gospel choir and I got everyone involved, involved and we sang. And then I went away to college. I went to Hampton University um which was called Hampton Institute for those who are listening. I will <laughs> give you the, the bat don't want people writing in it's Hampton Institute. <laughs> 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 you
0: know, people... Right, they do that. They do. They do yeah. for sure.
1: It's Hampton University now. And um I did I played in a band, but to get to the singing part, um after I re- retired from my job, I, I started singing. I sang a song at my retirement gala. I had a big gala. And um I said, maybe I need to take this a little bit seriously. And that's sort of what happened. And I just started getting training and um, started learning all the nuances of singing, which were not easy. Mm -hmm. Um, It was a whole new world for me. I've been used to dance. And uh, I, 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 but who influenced me, if someone would ask me, my parents always used to play music by, um, Ju- my dad loved Julie London, mm. um, Davis, um, Ella Fitzgerald, um, Sarah Vaughan a little bit. Dino, my mom loved Dinah Washington.
0: Wow, loved classic, Washington. classic music.
1: Yeah, um, Frank Sinatra, you know, um, and so, and in England, there were also other artists that even though they covered a lot of um, US music, They influenced me, too, in a subtle way, like Dusty Springfield um, and uh, Petula Clark. Um, They were quite popular. Um, And I was a youngster, so the sound, but they loved the Motown sound, which also, by the way, got me (laughs) in a weird way. There's so many stories to tell, and I don't... I got involved with... um, I met Martha Reeves and the Vandellas. Um, I met them, but I was... I met them in Scotland, of all places, even though we're, we both were living in the United States. Wow, wow, that's interesting. And um, I ended up doing um, backup dancing for them, uh, occasionally, not a regular act, and they were kind enough to let me let me do that. So I saw a backup dancer uh, or Vandela backup. <laughs> Whatever it was.
0: We'll, we'll make up a we'll make up a name for it, <laughs>
1: <laughs> Martha would be the one to call it for what it is. But um, that, that that was another sound that was also popular in the UK, and a lot of people don't realize the person responsible for bringing that sound, the Motown sound, to the UK was Dusty Springfield.
0: Mm. Interesting. Interesting.
1: She was actually the first white artist that refused to um perform at a segregated um, venue, which was in South Africa. I didn't know that. Well, now I know. Wow. Interesting. So
0: So, where are you you with the music now? Is it something that you want to pursue, that niche? Or would you you create a show with that?
1: Well, I I have had, um, before the pandemic, Mm -hmm. I did do two or three um, one-man cabaret shows at local places. in Manhattan, um, I'm trying to see where they were now because it's been so long since they. <laughs> but um, I'll get back to that, and and that gave me um, it was a good turnout, and it gave me the 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 idea that you know maybe I could if I, if I work at this I could get a little bit better and um, you know create. A repertoire. I mean, that was the first thing. When I, I remember singing, learning one song, and, and I said, "Well, how many songs do you have to learn to, to have a whole show?" And a woman told me Marilyn May. I took class with Marilyn May. She's a big name in the cabaret community. She Said, "Oh, you at least fifteen to 20. And I'm thinking, "Oh my God, I never learned." Are you mad? So um, I, I just, you'd, you know, be, you'd
0: be surprised. You'd be surprised how many you probably already know. You know, you may not know every single word or every single, but you probably know a lot, you know.
1: I actually, and you're right, Uh I actually now know well over 20 songs, um, possibly 30. Um, And of course, like you said, like some better than others. But before, I just really knew one, you Mm -hmm. know. Um, So what I'm trying to do, I have a YouTube video. So please subscribe, those who are listening. It's under Brian Alejandro. And it's called Let's Get Away From It All. And it is in the style of, um, well, I'll actually say this. That song is a popular song. Let's get away from it all. Frank Sinatra sang it, Uh, I'm not sure if Sammy Davis sang it, but the person that captured me was Della Reese. And and, and a lot of people don't know, Della Reese had a big jazz um, musical career way before um, that Angel show. Way Um,
0: before Touched by an Angel.
1: Yeah. 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 And she was high stuff. She was also known for her um, enunciation that was impeccable. Mm -hmm. Yep. But If you listen to her sing, um, anyone out there, please, you will will hear how well she sings and how well she produces, pronounces, and produces the sounds.
0: Right.
1: And so that particular song got my attention. And so I I made another video, did two videos. Um, The other one I haven't posted yet, and I want to go back in the studio and do two more and then, you know, sort of like mix them up a little bit. On YouTube, so I guess you could say YouTube right now would be, at least it is because I'm not able to be out. Right. Figuratively, I'm not able to be out there doing what I would like to do um, with people because I'm more of a live person. Right. Um, But this is (laughs) something that some people seem to enjoy and, and for me, as a performer, it's always been about the audience um, enjoying themselves, not, not me showing off or being, thinking I'm fabulous or, or deep or anything like that. It's always been like, if you have a good time, I have a wonderful time. Absolutely.
0: And that's the beauty of, you know, doing live theater and live shows is the connection with the audience. You know, the immediate connection with the audience because you get the response right away and every show is different. You know, how people are receiving your art that's what we live for. That's what we live for. That's what they live for, that's what we live for. We want people to receive us, you know, in a good way or touch them in some way, make them feel something. Or like you said, hear them with their impeccable, you know, pronunciation of a word and just send chills down their spine. You know, that's what we like. And so unfortunately right now with the times that we're in, this is the best media we have. We have podcasts, we have YouTube, we have, Unfortunately, we have to do theater, you know, on live theater where people subscribe and do that, because Broadway is down, but it's making a comeback. You know, what do you what do you see for the future for Broadway? Will it come back um, as strong as it was?
1: I, I I think there are so many talented people out there. You know, young, um, not so young, older you know, in my category, but, but not old. And even the, the veterans of, of of the field that have been working on in, in, in Broadway for 50 years or more, 60-some, um, it will come back. I think they're going to have to make some sort of changes in terms of the physical with, with these um, theatres. And it's going to be hard because a lot of these theatres, some, some of them are either historical landmarks or they've been constructed in a certain sort of way and so you, that, that will be if I were someone doing something somewhere if I was an architect major I would be thinking how could I redesign the theater without destroying anything about it but make right. it a place for people to um view um uh, shows live shows on Broadway and see so all those architect majors out there I don't know if you're doing this already but you might want to think about that <laughs>
0: <laughs> and that's the tip of
1: the day <laughs> i'm just saying i'm giving it away free and i'm not even gonna call it out if you make millions of dollars and i don't but uh just remember brian Alejandro. so you have me at that show there you go
0: see reimagine is what they say now reimagine a new new york theater scene architect get on it listen i could talk to you all day but i have to go how can we get in touch with you
1: Well, um, you can reach me, Um, I'm on YouTube. I have my own channel. Please, please, please subscribe. It's Brian Alejandro. Um, I am on Instagram and I'm sort of getting new to Instagram. I've been on there a little bit, but my my younger following says, oh, Brian, you've really got to get better with this because I'm on (laughs) Facebook. I have a lot of friends on Facebook and on the Facebook, I'm Brian Alejandro Scott on Facebook. But the younger generation, they're more into Instagram um, so that's Senor. So it's S R. Um, dot Brian Alejandro. That's Sr Dot Brian Alejandro. And and one of my friends, uh, her, she used to she used to be a former model in Paris, and her daughter is into TikTok. So she says, "Oh, she always called me Mr. Mr. Brian, Mr. Brian, you've got to ticket on TikTok." And I said, "I said, <laughs> okay." So um, that may be. Um, Something I'm going to, I mean, I'm, I, even though I'm not, you know, I'm not 20, you know, I'm 27, but even though I'm not 20, <laughs> I'm still um, trying to keep up, but not in a way that looks of desperation. Right. In other words, it's, talk, it's about changing with the times and one has to be open to, to new ideas and new concepts. And, and that's it. If you want to share your gift or your love or your art, you you, you have to be open. And so I'm open. Absolutely. So reach out to me. Send me a message, um, and you can also contact me through uh, Marcos. And you know, we will see what's the next thing. Hopefully, a new video will be coming soon. And um, just want to wish everyone really the best. And um, for 2021, there's no need to make major. Um, what's it called? What you do at the end of the year? Um, uh, resolutions. Yeah, resolutions. I think a resolution every day. Would be to treat someone in the way that you want to be. Always loving and understand that sometimes people's backgrounds or situations cause to be who they are. Absolutely. So it takes you to rise above that and say, "It's all right, baby."
0: (laughs) It's all right. Well, Senor Brian Alejandro. Scott, thank you so much for uh, being part of the One Mike Night episode, new season two. Please, everybody, make sure you follow him on all the social media: Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Of course, he's got a thousand plus hits on that new song out there, and it's fantastic. Go there and see him. Also, make sure you subscribe to the One Mike Night podcast. We're on all platforms: Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, wherever you download your podcast. You can follow us also and One Mike Knight on all social media. You can follow me at Marcos Luis, M-A-R-C-O-S-L-U-I-S on all social media. Go to the .com, find all the links to my social media. Thank you for joining me for this episode. See you next time.